Happy Father's Day, men. I uh, hope you're doing well, and I hope you're looking forward to a good time today with family or friends or, or, or maybe both. And I don't know how you feel about it, but I can tell you that I think being a dad is one of the greatest privileges of my life. I suspect you do too. General Douglas MacArthur said, by profession, I am a soldier, and I take pride in that fact. But I'm a pr- I am prouder, infinitely prouder, to be a father. There's just nothing like being a dad. And I've discovered it's the only way to become a grandfather, <laughs> which is pretty special as well. On this Father's Day, here are a couple more thoughts worth remembering. Hotting Carter wrote, he said, there are only two lasting bequests that we can hope to give our children. One of these is roots, the other, wings. And this one from Joseph Jobert. Children need models more than they need critics. How true. Men, do you know how Father's Day started and, and when? Uh, It is actually 110 years old this year. Back in 1910, Sonora Dodd wanted to honor her father, William Jackson Smart, a widowed Civil War veteran who was left to raise six children on his own. June was the month of his birth. So we've been celebrating Father's Day in June ever since. However, it would be another 62 years from that first time before President Richard Nixon made Father's Day a permanent national holiday in 1972, which, all things considered, was pretty fast work for the government. Across the nation today, more than 70 million men are fathers, but not all recognize the impact of their role. Fathers are critically important to their children's well-being. As a matter of fact, some would suggest that almost every social ill faced by America's children is related to the absence or negligence of the father. Research consistently demonstrates that loving, involved fathers are beneficial to the health, education, and welfare of their sons and daughters. The time you spend with your children now decreases the chance that your child will engage in unhealthy or risky behaviors and helps shape their positive choices for the future. Need a good role model for being a dad? Look no farther than our heavenly father, God himself, our perfect father. Imitate him and you'll do well. Gerald Lieberman wrote, he said, Father's Day is like Mother's Day, except the gift is cheaper. (laughs) So in case you don't receive a gift today, guys, remember these lasting gifts that you've already received from the heavenly father. If your five senses are working properly, you have these gifts. You can feel on your fingertips or on your face a pressure that depresses your skin a bare four one hundred thousandths of an inch. You can see a small candle flame from 30 miles away on a clear, dark night. 30 miles. You can taste four one hundredths of an ounce of table salt dissolved in 530 quarts of water. You can distinguish among more than 300,000 different color variations. And you can gauge the direction of a sound's origin based on a three one hundred thousandths of a second difference in when that sound arrives in one ear and then the other. 
We are amazingly blessed by our Heavenly Father. And ladies, don't tune me out this morning. I'll say the same thing to you that I said to the men on Mother's Day. This is not a Father's Day sermon. It is merely a sermon on Father's Day. So, lend me your ears. As we continue in our series, Just the Right Words, let's take a look this morning at Psalm 39 and Psalm 126. Now, the theme out of these two psalms is that of sorrow. Now, I know what some of you guys are thinking. Oh, come on, Tom. This is Father's Day. Couldn't you come up with a a theme a little bit more upbeat for our day? I understand, guys. I'm a dad, too. I like classic cars, pickup trucks, planes, pocket knives, mystery novels, and movies filled with adventure and intrigue. But stick with me here. There is great value in what the Scripture has to say on all subjects, and sorrow is no exception. And we're going to take a look at a couple different aspects of sorrow this morning. One of those is painful sorrow, and the other one is positive sorrow. Let's take a look at painful sorrow first. Now, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word sorrow? For me, it is sadness and tears. I suspect that painful imagery would be common to most of us when we hear the word sorrow. We're we're just naturally drawn into that concept of sadness and tears. For me, I think this year is a little bit more poignant on Father's Day than normal. This is my first Father's Day without my dad leaving me the oldest male in my immediate family. However, knowing where my dad is and that he is once again whole and free from pain, I wouldn't bring him back to this corona-infested world for anything. And while we cringe at the presence of this virus named after a crown, my dad is casting his crown at the feet of the one whose very presence vanquishes all fear and disease. For him, it's a, it's a great Father's Day. And I'll be honest with you this morning too. I wish every day of life was upbeat, happy, and conflict-free. But life just isn't that way. As a matter of fact, anybody can handle life well when life is going good. It's how we handle the seasons of sorrow that set us apart and make us different. And my, are we seeing seasons of sorrow all around us. I'm still preaching to a camera lens because of this crazy virus that is dominating our lives. There are numerous families, numerous families who are filled with sorrow at the loss of a loved one because of this indiscriminate and invisible invader. And our culture, our culture so ripped apart in this racially and cultural divided time is overwhelmed with sorrow. Sorrow for the unnecessary and tragic loss of life. Sorrow for the ungodly, convoluted thinking that causes one person to look down on another because of the color of his skin. Sorrow because some miserable people abuse the memories of folks like George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Richard Brooks by looting, burning, hating, maiming, and murdering others. Sorrow because the vast majority of good, kind, helpful police officers are being maligned because of the actions of those who are inexcusable in their abuse of minorities and the law they are sworn to uphold. Sorrow, because in so many in our society, 
would rather taunt one another than talk with one another, would rather hate one another than help one another, would rather stand against one another than stand with one another. Folks, I grew up in a small Indiana town where, well, honestly, everybody looked like me. I never saw anybody from another race or cultural background except for the times that we hosted missionaries in our home or traveled to other cities. And yet I have never understood how anyone could look down on another child of God because his skin was a different color. I'm a better person because of the people I've met and known from different races and different cultures. They have broadened my horizons and my life. Besides, heaven will be full of people from all backgrounds of life. And my Savior, the one I serve and whose grace I proclaim, he was not Caucasian. And yet he is the dearest on earth to me. And I cannot imagine his sorrow at the mess that we've made. By the way, I know. I know our best shot at racial and cultural unity is in him, the Prince of Peace. Because when he becomes the priority of our lives, everything else begins to fall into proper place. Now, these are indeed days of anger, anguish, and deep sorrow. Here's what I've learned in 65 years of life. We are never prepared for sorrow and bad news. Oh, it won't happen to me, or such things will never touch us as a family, or our culture will never buy into something like that. Such reasoning is why we're always caught off guard by the heartbreaking moments of life. That's why we need to learn to expect the unexpected, because there will be tough times. There are tough times. And in these last few weeks, I have been dazed by the unexpected, life-changing, life-altering news from families in this congregation. I know I shouldn't be surprised because that's life in a broken world, but I always am. Whether it's the news of the sudden illness of a child or the revelation of a husband's infidelity or a wife's internet affair or the discovery of a teen's addiction or the fact that the test results confirm that it is terminal cancer. This can't be happening, we think, but it is. It's not a bad dream. It is the unexpected reality of temporary life in this world. But I want you to know that Jesus had sad days too. The day his cousin John the Baptist was executed. The day that the rich young leader learned what it would take to find eternal life, but turned away from the words of Jesus. And the Bible says, by the way, he turned away grieving or sorrowful. The day that Judas, one of the twelve, planted a kiss of betrayal on the master's cheek, or the day that God the Father remained silent to his son's prayers in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus knows heartbreak better than any of us. Gentison Franklin wrote this. He said, there comes a time in everyone's life when you have to confront the unexplainable absences of God, a season in life when God gives no explanations, only promises from his word. Much of the journey to heaven must be made in the dark. Life is not fair, but God is just. Sometimes all you can trust in is the character of God. So what do we do when life is filled with sorrow? How we handle it makes all the difference.
In Psalm 39, David is having a tough time and is wrestling with despondency and hopelessness. He's discouraged. He is sorrowful. Some have suggested that he is angry, that others are doing well and prospering, and he is not. We, we really don't know the occasion or the circumstance that prompted the writing of this psalm. But you can hear the anguish and you can hear the sorrow in his soul as he pours out his words to God. David experienced the same frustrations, the same pain, the same heartbreak that we face. But in his words, we find some clues on responding to sorrow in our own lives. Out of Psalm 39 comes some of these truths that I want you to remember. Here's the first one. Take time to cry. Take time to cry. Find a way to express your sorrow in a productive, helpful way. Psalm 39.12 says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Be not deaf to my weeping. Now, being strong in your faith doesn't make you immune to emotions. David was certainly strong in his faith, but he, he also had to deal with a lot of sorrow in his life. Being a Christian does not mean that you should live above your feelings or that tears are somehow a sign of weakness or that somehow your sorrow diminishes your faith if you let it show. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Take time to cry. It is therapeutic. It is part of God's healing process. Jesus wept, remember, at the tomb of Lazarus, and he knew that he would be raising Lazarus momentarily. But crying helps the soul. Tears are a gift from God. And do you realize that of all of God's creation, human beings are the only creatures able to shed tears in response to emotional stress? We're the only ones that cry. In his research, Professor William Frey of the University of Minnesota discovered that chemicals which build up during emotional stress are removed through tears. Emotional tears have a higher level of certain proteins and chemicals such as magnesium and potassium. Manganese, one of those chemicals that impacts our moods, was 30 times more concentrated in tears than in blood serum. Without the aid of tears, unalleviated stress is likely to cause heart attacks or can even damage certain areas of the brain. The famous scientist Alexander Fleming, the, the one who discovered penicillin, determined that tears contain an enzyme, lysozyme, which dissolves the outer coat of many bacteria and helps bring healing. I'm telling you, weakness is, or weeping is not a weakness, it is a gift. Crying is the beginning of a process of dealing with sadness. Crying helps us to accept our loss, that it is real and that we can move into the future. Crying is purifying. It releases toxins that are pent up inside of us, are these emotions that need to be released, thus helping us to handle our sorrow. In a study on crying, 85% of women and 75% of men said they felt less angry or less sad after they cried. So you see, God really gave us an incredible gift when he gave us tears. Take time to cry. Here's something else. Don't keep it locked up inside. Psalm 39, 2 says, But when I was silent and still, not even saying anything good, my anguish increased. 
Not having a way to express one's fears, frustrations, anger, sorrow, disappointments never helps. When you stay silent, when you hold it in, it only adds to your stress. Don't handle it alone. Matthew 5, 4, in the Beatitudes, he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Surround yourself with those who can encourage and support you in your need. David had this band of brothers, these, these guys that were, were close to him that would do just about anything for David, and, and they surrounded him. He knew the right friends. Now, I realize sometimes people who have the best intentions can actually create more stress for you. But you'll know the friends you can trust. You'll know the people who will handle it appropriately. Because you see, when we brood alone, we can create problems in our minds that are far greater and far larger than reality. And, and then keep things in proper perspective, okay? Psalm 39, 5 and 6 says, You have made my days a mere handbreadth. A span of my years is nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. Man is a mere phantom as he goes to and fro. He bustles about, but only in vain. He heaps up wealth, not knowing who will get it. We get so bent out of shape over things that in the long run don't matter. And we need to remember, we need to keep in this proper perspective that life is short. So don't waste a moment. Guard your thoughts, your words, and your actions because you may not have time to make amends for the things that you do wrong. If you discover that today would be your last day, how would you spend it? If you knew that by the end of the day, your life in this world would be over, would you spend it griping about the slow service in the drive through line of your favorite fast food restaurant? I don't think so. So why do it now? Life is short. We have no promises here. Keep things in their proper perspective. Focus on those things that matter. And then here's the other thing. Take your burdens to the Lord. Psalm 39, 7 and 8. But now, Lord, what do I look for? Why, my hope is in you. Save me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of fools. David says, Lord, I have no place else to go. My hope is in you. So I would suggest to you this morning that you take your burdens to the Lord first. Spend time in God's presence. Talk to the Lord about the problem first. Pray. I've learned that when I respond in sorrow, frustration, and stress before praying, I always regret what I say or how I act. If I pray first and respond second, it's always better. Matthew records how John the Baptist's disciples handled his execution. In Matthew 14, 12, it says, John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. Don't, I just love that picture. They buried John the Baptist, and the first thing they did is they went and talked to Jesus. I suggest you do the same thing. When the burdens and the problems of life just overwhelm you, talk to Jesus first. Talk to the Father in prayer. And then spend time in God's Word. I'm amazed at how God's Word addresses so many difficulties in life. Sorrow, loneliness, temptation, failure, regret, revenge, anger, disappointment, hurt, rejection, and the list goes on. The book of Job comforts. The book of Psalms inspires. The book of Proverbs instills wisdom. The gospel points us to a loving Savior. Why, even the book of Revelation breathes 
hope. God and his word will get you through. So take it to him. If you'll follow this pattern in times of sorrow, take time to cry, don't keep it locked up inside, don't handle it alone, keep things in their proper perspective, and take your burdens to the Lord. You'll come out stronger on the other side of the valley of sorrow. Well, there is also a, a, a positive side to sorrow. I know that sounds kind of odd. And really, honestly, folks, uh, all sorrow is potentially positive when handled properly. But there is a sorrow that produces a truly positive result. <laughs> and I know what you're thinking. You know, There are some people that just can't be positive about anything. There's the optimist, then there is the pessimist. And some people live forever in the gloom of pessimism. For, for years, Jake tried to lead his friend Chester out of his pessimistic attitudes. And, and it, it just was no avail. No matter how airtight or logical Jake's reasoning was, Chester could always find a way to, to look at it negatively, could always find the pessimistic view and gripe about it. But those days, <laughs> those days were at an end with Jake's new bird dog. The morning of the big duck hunt dawned on a beautiful clear sky day, perfect conditions on the lake where they enjoyed going hunting together. But Chester, as usual, was grumpy. I mean, it was too cool. It was going to be too humid by the time the, the sun uh, broke through in the afternoon. I, you name it, Chester was just angry about it as they motored out to their favorite part of the lake. Within minutes, a flight of ducks glided into view. The guns fired. Two ducks fell into the water, and Jake poked Chester, and he said, watch this. Then turning to the dog, he said, Rover, go get the ducks. Rover stepped out of the boat, walked across the water, picked up the two ducks, walked back across the water, got into the boat. Jake grinned. So what do you think about that, Chester? Huh, Chester snorted. I can't believe you'd bring a dog that can't swim. What's this positive sorrow? It's a godly sorrow that, not, that doesn't grow out of pessimism, but it grows out of the depths of our soul when we come face to face with our sin. True repentance, that change of mind and will that leads to a change of behavior begins with sorrow for the fact that we have dishonored God and we have rebelled against his wisdom and his commandments. That godly sorrow is an important component in our relationship with God. As a matter of fact, folks, without it, our relationship to God cannot be restored. Jesus said in Luke 13, 3, and you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. Oh, but it is so refreshing letting go of sin's burden and guilt at the feet of the Savior. Listen to David's heartfelt words of spiritual renewal in Psalm 126, verse 4. Restore our fortunes, Lord, as streams renew the desert. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with their harvest. Plant your repentance in tears. Celebrate God's forgiveness with joy. Do you see, this, this is positive sorrow. When we can, with godly sorrow, come and bring our heart's issues, our sins, brokenness, to the feet of the Savior, he changes our lives forever. 
but you got to let it go too. You got to get rid of the stink of the past. Now, I don't know what it is about it, but Smith Road that runs north and south, just, just east of our church building here, is death row for skunks. I don't know if we've got overcrowding of the skunk population on the east side of town or not, but dead skunks abound. When I left the house this morning to come to the church building, I could just smell the skunk in the air. Where's a good buzzard when you need one? Here's the problem with a skunk. A dead skunk keeps the stink around. As a matter of fact, you can't get rid of the stink until you get rid of the dead carcass. Some of us, in similar fashion, are still holding on to the remains of the past. Those attitudes, those grudges, those resentments, those hurts, and those sins that died when we were crucified with Christ. But they're hard to let go of. I know they're hard to let go of. But I'm telling you, you can't get rid of the stink in your life until you remove those sinful carcasses. When you hang on to the old ways, you can't be joyful. You're surrounded by decay, so repent. Let go of the past. Get rid of the stink. And then retrain your brain. Positive sorrow will bring a harvest of positive thinking. Your mind is an incredible gift. Before you were born, your body produced about 200 billion neurons to give you the power to think and react. Research has found that mental exercise makes a difference. For instance, in the case of tennis players, they can improve their backhands by simply rehearsing them in their mind. Now we know that the brain is amazingly changeable, even into adulthood. <laughs> you can teach an old dog new tricks. Neurons that wire together, fire together. So, when you practice hope, love, or joy, your mind actually begins, literally begins to rewire the neurons in your brain. You focus on the values and the precepts of God and it will change the way you think and it will change the way you live. Your brain needs to be retrained by the power of God. So get rid of the stink and retrain your brain. We seldom consider that sorrow is a path to joy. But just keep remembering that fruit always goes, grows best in the valleys, not on the mountaintops. Believe it or not, Believe it or not, your moments of sorrow will strengthen your joy. Like weights, which create resistance to muscles but strengthen them, or like a sustained increased heart rate creates good cardiovascular health, so godly sorrow produces a victorious life. Plant in sorrow, harvest in joy. Bring your burdens to the Lord and just watch what kind of harvest he returns. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that in the midst of our painful sorrow, we can experience a positive sorrow. If we'll bring to you our burdens, if we'll bring to you our brokenness, if we'll bring to you the sin of our lives and turn it over to you, that we will cast such things at your feet, that we will plant the things of this life and watch for a harvest of joy and forgiveness in you. Lord, thank you for blessing our lives in so many ways. 
Help us as a nation, help us as a congregation, help us as individuals, especially us men, Lord, to be the kind of leaders in our homes that we need to be. Lord, forgive us where we fail you and help us to point others to Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of life. For it is in his glorious name that we pray, amen.